Lord, thank you for the author, Mark, for how, how he recorded things and the presentation of Jesus he gives us. I don't always like what Jesus says, but I do know it's true. And Lord, there's some tough things that he says in this passage, only for those of us who don't want to need you. So help us hear it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear, and receive. And Lord, stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts, speak with my mouth, because this is way beyond me. This is your gospel and our need for it. So let this be your sermon for us, not my sermon for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I'm gonna back up a little bit um, to some stuff that's not gonna be on your screen. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about Jesus and his view of children and, and how the first century Jewish people looked at children. They didn't have the view that we do where it, 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 we will do anything for our children. And I'm not saying that they didn't love their children. I think that Jesus is trying to turn their view the way it should be. As God looks at us, we should look at our children. But that is not how they saw it. Children have no esteem, no acclaim, no, no, no accomplishments. They have no rights. They, they're, they're just there. Um, and the reason to, to go back and read these couple of verses before we get to the one we're looking at is because it's kind of framed. There's this, these, these people get the kingdom and these people don't? What? Because God flips the world upside down in the person of Jesus when he, when he, when he talks about this. So here, here's the little bit about the little children. Um, people were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. And I don't think they're yelling at the kids. I think they're getting at the parents. And, and think about it. It's kind of like if Jesus, Jesus is a pretty big deal at this time. And if, if, uh, if you were to go to a concert or a sporting event when, they, when we're allowed to do that again, and, and if you're like out back and you know that the athletes or the pop stars are about to get on the bus and you just, man, you just got to get an autograph. You got, you got to see them. Um, and and you're, you're coming up and you've got the, they got the security, the bouncers, you know, the security people that are standing there and they're not letting you through. And you're like, just, just one minute. And like, look, he's done what he's going to do. She's done what she's going to do. They got a life, they got somewhere else to be. Would you just back off? I can just see the disciples kind of acting like secret service when the president's walking through a crowd. And especially the kid, come on kids, look, it's a big man, just, just, just chill out. And Jesus will have none of it. I love, I love and I don't. It, 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 it says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, I don't know if you know what indignation is, but he's not mildly irritated. He's frustratingly angry. I mean, if you, were, if you say, I am indignant, you're not going, well, you know, I'm mildly irritated. Jesus is mad. He's mad because of how, he's already taught them about children. He, we just talked about that last week. And that, that they would be keeping the little ones from him. This is God with his little ones, the least of these. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. To bless is to say good things about. And when God says something, something happens. That's, that's what the picture of baptism is. It's just, uh, uh, just, 
I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to demean it. It's a sign. It's a symbol. It's a seal that God loves his children. And the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And then we find out who the kingdom of God doesn't belong to. And it is a difficult passage. I preached this last time here was August 25, 2013. And, but I realized when I'm preparing for this week's message, I, I read through this. I'm like, no, I've talked about that recently. And I kept going. I, I went through my records and I haven't. But I have referred to this passage about a half a dozen times since this series started. And so if it's that big a deal that it comes up all the time, let's just go there. Let's go all the way there. And Jesus, as Jesus started on, the, on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? All right, so Mark is always careful. The very first miracle that we see in the gospel according to Mark is in chapter one, the last few verses. It's the healing of the leper. The leper, uh, he's a man, when, when you get leprosy, you're kicked out of the community, you're supposed to tear up your clothes, not bathe, and you have to scream out, I'm unclean to anyone within screaming distance. If you come within screaming distance of another person who is not a leper, then you are to have rocks thrown at you until you're dead. That's the right thing to do. So this man is desperate. He's had no human contact for months or years. He's had no, 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 um, no, no cleansing of himself for years, and that's just physical cleansing. He's probably missing parts of his nose. Pieces of his face are faded out. He probably has nubs for fingers, and he smells awful. And this man risks everything, falls at his knees, and says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus does something very peculiar immediately thereafter, and he does something almost exactly the same with this man who comes up and falls at his knees and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, one thing that we should notice right away is Jesus knows what this man is doing, and, and, and Jesus calls him on it right away, because how this is supposed to go is in polite society, you're supposed to treat people of esteem a certain way. For example, if you had the opportunity to meet whoever he or she may be, the president of the United States, you're not going to go, what's up, dog? You're not going to do it. And if you do, little shame on you. I, was, I grew up in the South, or early childhood in the South. Anyone five years older than you, you call ma'am or sir. You just do. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. You, you don't even refer to them by their name. You call, sir, sir. Like, a, like when a, a server at a restaurant talks to you and calls you sir, it feels a little weird, doesn't it? But not down there. This man comes up to Jesus, falls at his knees, and I don't know if it's pretend or not. Jesus seems to think it is. And he goes, good teacher. So the way you're supposed to treat someone on that kind of esteem level is that he's supposed to respond like Congress people respond. Well, I yield the rest of my time to my distinguished colleague from Vermont, the honorable so-and-so. That's how you're supposed to interact. And Jesus doesn't interact that way. He doesn't respond with good sir. He doesn't do it. Because the man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit? Has anyone here ever received an inheritance? There's some, okay. Everyone's like, I don't know if I want anyone to know that. It could have been small. It could have been a ring. I don't know. But, but did you buy it? No. It was bought. It was by the action of your birth, likely, that you received this thing that a father, a grandfather, a mother, a grandmother, however long it might have been passed down. I know that I got an inheritance from my grandmother. It was my, 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 my 
grandfather's wedding ring, which was his grand grandfather's wedding ring. And it was cast in 1890 out of a $20 gold piece. And I was honored to have it, but I lost it on my honeymoon. But I did not buy that ring. Someone else did. An inheritance is not something earned, but he's asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus knows what he's doing. This man is asking God to tell him how good he is so that he can be reassured he's justified himself before God and he wants to be reassured that he's got it right. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimonies, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And if you know the Ten Commandments, you know that those are in kind of random order, but they're only five through ten in that realm. Jesus leaves out, have no other gods before me, do not make an idol or make of yourself an idol, and do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Jesus is calling him on something, and we're going to find out what that is. And I don't know what the first century version of an iPad or an iPhone was, and I don't think that this guy, and I don't know this for sure, hopefully one day I'll meet him. I hope that he ended up in heaven, but according to this story, he did not. Um, I don't know, because he, he's coming in both barrels, and he's coming in, this is a good Jewish man. He's been blessed probably generationally. And they, the belief is that children with the kingdom of God, come on, but the, the people that are blessed that God prospers them, they, they're the ones that, that, that it's obvious that, that they're doing it right. So I don't know what, if he's got this scroll of his checklist of all of his accomplishments and all the merits that he has, I don't know what it is, but I know that when professional athletes make a good play, they, they, say, they say something like, uh, that's what I'm talking about. Or boom goes the dynamite. Or, or, and I don't know if this guy has a friend or not, but he, he, he might be saying something like, uh, you know how I do it. Look at that. You know how I do it. He's got a little pride welling up. I guarantee it. Because of his experience, his reply, Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he lists off a bunch of them. They're the ones that have to do with how we treat each other, not with our relationship with God. And Jesus, he, he goes, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a kid. I can just see him like, yes, nailed it. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. You remember what he did with the leper? This disgusting picture of a human being in first century Israel. Matted hair, B.O., skin falling off, nubs for fingers, tattered clothing, falls on the ground, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and then said, I'm willing, be clean. If it were me, I got to say, if I had the power and the authority to make him whole, if I had the power and authority to bring down rain from heaven and clean that guy up, I might say, I'm willing, be clean, and then touch him, but not Jesus. He touches him. He loves him. The man had not had human contact for months or years, and Jesus loved him just like he was in the same place that he was. He didn't ask him to do anything before he loved him. God first loved him. And then he refused to leave him that way. And here is a man who is justifying himself before God, 
who says, what must I do to inherit? And God calls him on it. You know, well, commandment, I nailed it. He loved him just like he was in the, in the place that he is. He didn't ask him to change anything yet. He loved him first. And then he says, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give to the poor, store up treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. And this, just so you know, those of you who, who, who haven't been here for this whole series, that's fine. But I want you to know that when Jesus says, follow me in the gospel according to Mark, that is a claim of being divine, of being God. He, rabbis don't do that. They say, I'm following God. Come with me and I'll teach you how to follow God. Jesus says, follow me. Just like when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It's a claim of divinity. He's saying, come with me and I'm going to destroy your life in a glorious way, but I will destroy your life. I will turn the whole world upside down. You will not be who you were. You will now be who God wants you to be. That's what he's saying to this man. He looked at him. He loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. Sell everything. Give to the poor. Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And this is when we find out he was rich. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And notice that Jesus didn't chase after him. He didn't say, I was just being hyperbolic. It was a big statement. I don't mean it all, not everything. Just, just come on, come on, it's, good. it's all good. According to the story, this man is going to hell. I hope he didn't. I hope he came to his senses later. I hope that he saw that God wanted to do something glorious in him by taking away his own self-assurance and self-reliance and showing him that he needs, he needs grace and not his own goodness. Because no one is good, not even one, says Paul. No one seeks God unless God first seeks them. This is this, is this man's problem. He had it figured out on how to deal with other people. He did, like, like Paul, uh, who said, as, as per the law, I was faultless. This man, according to the law, is faultless. But he does not first honor God. He doesn't first, he, he's, a, he's what we would call someone who thinks of themselves as a really good Christian. And I find it sad when we call ourselves good Christians because that means we're bad people. Because to be a Christian is to be forgiven. And if you're a good one, that means you've got a lot to be forgiven for. This, he goes on, and this just, it wrecks me. The disciples were amazed. How he, Jesus, said, Jesus uh, looked around and said to the disciples, how hard, is, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, only time he calls his disciples children. He, he says, how hard, it is, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And I tell you, folks, there are theologians and pastors that try to, it's called exegeting around it. Um, to, to exegete the scriptures or to, is to work on the scriptures to find out what, as best we can, what it meant to the original hearers. And then hermeneutics, big word, is preaching. It's, it's, okay, here's what it meant to them then. Same truth, what does it mean to us now? It means what it meant, but how do we translate it to our context? And there are those, and some that I have much respect for, but I found in scripture that when you have an easy way of looking at it or a hard way of looking at it, the hard way is always the right one. 
And there are people that would exegete their way, or they do exegetical gymnastics to get around this. That it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And they say that the Eastern gate going in toward the temple was, was sometimes called the eye of the needle. And that for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a camel needed to kneel down because it couldn't make it through. It was the largest animal they knew in the Middle East. And so it had to get on, down on its shins and, shins and forearms. Shins? Okay. Um, and if he, if he humbled himself, he could get through the eye. Well, here's what they don't, those people that do that don't know is that camels can't crawl. They stand up. They kneel down, they can roll over, but they can't do what dogs do and kind of like that. So even then, a camel can't get through the eye of a needle. What Jesus is saying, he's, he's, he's being not dramatic. He's just saying how impossible it is. He's saying to you and me that if we are rich and we are, I'm in the, number, uh, the top 1% of wealth, wealth holders in the world and so are you. If you have food to spare, if you have shelter, you have heat in the winter, you have cars, vehicles. My, my cars and my vehicles live inside. They live in a garage. We are all rich according to the world standard and according to scripture, every one of us. And it is impossible for us to enter the kingdom well, maybe not. Maybe it's, if it's possible for a, 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 the largest known animal to go through the smallest known orifice in a bone, a, a bone needle about that big, if we can get a camel, and I want you to picture that for a second, what's left of the camel when his every bone is crushed, every sinew is squished, every vessel is pushed, what's left of the camel when it goes through the eye of a needle? Nothing. Just a slop mess of smelly cat food and mayonnaise. And the disciples are freaked out because in their way of looking at God, only, I mean, it's a guarantee that the people that have been blessed by God with prosperity, they're the ones that have been faithful. They're the good ones. And Jesus just said the little ones who have no merit, they've done nothing, they've accomplished nothing, they really have no rights, they have no voice of their own. It belongs to them, but not to them. What? And then Jesus says, the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. With man, it is impossible. With humanity, you can't do it. I can't do it. And we hate this. He goes on, and there's some strange things in this, and that's not the main point. So Peter said, again, kind of like the rich young man, like, hey, look at us, though. We've left everything to follow you. And I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters Mother, father, children, fields for me and the gospel will, fall, uh, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Present age is from the fall of humanity, fall of Adam until Jesus' return. He says, and then there's a list, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. And with them, this is the one we always leave out, persecutions. God's going to bless those who follow him. He's not going to hate on you. But in this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, says Jesus, I've overcome the world. In the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first 
will be last and last will be first. He's flipping the world upside down. Actually, he's writing the world. He's putting it right side up. Here's the thing. I don't like it. You're not going to like it. And the hard part about it is we often see this as discouraging instead of glorious. You nor I can do anything to save our skin. I'm born doomed. Elliot and Elijah, born doomed. And no matter how good and cute and adorable and wonderful they are, there's nothing they can do to make themselves right with God. No one dies and faces judgment and goes to, the, goes to the throne room of God. When Jesus says, and when they see Jesus, no one goes, look what I've done. No one. It is impossible for you or me to make ourselves right with God. Impossible. This is what's known as the, 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 the doctrine of total depravity. Everything is stained with our sin. But here's the good news. He who had no sin became sin for us. Like we said earlier, everything necessary for your salvation has already been accomplished 2,000 years ago. And it's wrapped up in a gift that is the gospel and that is in the scriptures. And we're told, we know that all we need to do is receive for ourselves, to break the seal, to receive for ourselves what Christ has offered us. But we have to be willing to say, destroy my life. Make me completely new. The old is gone. The new is coming. We have to be ready. We have to understand that he's going to, it's the greatest love story ever told. That one who is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, that means he's everywhere, he's all-powerful, and he knows everything, he knows everything, that he was willing to, to squeeze himself into being one who is doomed. Have you ever become a bacterium? You know what it would be like to go to a single-cell organism from your presence of mind, your ability to be, to be self-conscious, your ability to think and reason, your ability to, 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 without even thinking about it, have your brain tell your hand to do this and do this and do this? You imagine becoming a single-cell organism that just floats around in fluid? Take that and multiply it by thousands of times, and that's the loss. That's the give up. That's, the, that's what Jesus sacrificed from going from the Godhead to being an infant child and then growing and walking and talking and knowing and loving us and dying for us. And if for one minute we think that he's lucky to have us, something's off in us. We start thinking that, well, yeah, he kind of owes me. No, he doesn't. We owe him everything. He's given us everything. He's given us hope because no one is good. And the wages of our sin, what, 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 the, the, the stains on our soul, the thing that, ke- that we earn from that is eternal separation from God. And Jesus goes, no, no. I love them too much. I'm not doing that. I'm going to become what makes them stained. And I'm going to take it to hell and I'm going to leave it there where it belongs and then I'm going to take this thing out of death and I'm going back and I'm sending my spirit so that they have hope. 
That's what this passage is about. And I want you to know one more thing. In the gospel according to Mark, everything changes the next verse. The next verse, it seems like it would be a terrible line in a movie. Like that's the big, that's the big turning point. But it says right here, they were on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was leading the way. That's the last time he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to go die. He's going to go die for me. He's going to go die so I have grace. He's going to give me what I do not deserve, and he's not going to give me what I do deserve. That's mercy. That's why he's here. And everything changes. He's no longer going to the Decapolis or the Gerasenes. He's no longer going to Caesarea Philippi. He's not going to walk around anymore and talk to the Syrophoenician woman and make the Samaritan man a, 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 a hero. He's not, going to, he's not going to just challenge the religious leaders. He's going to where they're going to kill him. For me. Because God so loved you that he gave himself for you so that you, if you believe it, have everlasting life. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. It's impossible for you otherwise. And this is a glorious and wonderful thing. And I know I'm a spaz. I know it. But what kind of a pastor would I be if this did not make me passionate? I think the Lord's the, the question and answer number one has it pretty good in the Heidelberg Catechism. You are not your own. You belong in body and soul, in life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. What that means, though, is that you don't get to show up to heaven and go, nailed it. You show up to heaven and you say, thank you, because I'm doomed without you. Every one of us starts off doomed and God loved you so much that he was willing to come here to make sure you did not suffer the consequence you deserve. It is impossible for you to make yourself right with God, but God made you right with him. And what does he want in return? Just receive it. A great theologian, Oswald Chambers, he was a one who prepared missionaries and pastors for ministry. He died, he wrote, a, he wrote this wonderful, devo oh, well, it's a collection of his works, a devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's, 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 it's like reading through pudding. It's thick. He's got phenomenal mind. And I, when I found out when he died, he died at about 35 to 38 years old. I don't remember exactly, but I thought he was like 90s because of the wisdom this man had. Someone said, Dr. Chambers, when did you become a Christian? And he said, you mean the first time? And I know I've, I've used that before in this, from this pulpit, but I want you to see that that's the right answer. I'm not talking about that you don't have assurance of salvation if you've given your life to the Lord, if you've received for yourself, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You have salvation. But just like we say with Jesus at Easter, he is risen. We don't say he has a right, uh, he, he has, he, he, he's, I don't even know what the grammar is now. He, we don't say he rose. We say he is risen. He's in the present and ongoing state of having been risen. You are saved. You're in the present and ongoing state of having been saved. And you, were, you needed to be saved again yesterday and the day before and the day before. You need to be saved again today. You need to be saved tomorrow, the next day and the next day. And I'm not saying that you don't have it. It's not locked up. It is because he will never forsake you. But every single day, we have to have the attitude that I need grace and mercy from God today. Because I, it is impossible for me to be good. Today, Lord, your will, not mine. 
Today, Lord, grace for me and grace from me to others. Today, Lord, show me mercy as I show mercy to others. Today, Lord, forgive me my debt to you as I forgive those who are my debtors. It's not impossible. It's impossible for you, but not for God, unless you are not for God. And this man thought he had it. And he didn't. And cursed be upon me if I let you walk out of here thinking that you got it. And you don't. Jesus does. But you don't. Let's pray. Grace to us, Lord. And I pray that everyone in this room over the next couple of days, not, not, not because of failure or moral slight or anything like that, but every one of us ask you to, to, to give us the comfort of showing us, helping us realize again how much we need your grace. How much we needed Jesus to do what he did or else we're doomed. That's it, Lord. Just remind us so we can be grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.